She's a business mogul. Number one. And wellness expert. How can I help? And now Chantel Ray and her amazing guests are here to guide you on your wellness journey. Time to level up. Welcome to the Waste Away Podcast. You guys, I'm so excited to be doing some short clips each day with some of the health and fasting questions that you guys ask us all the time. These are going to be very short episodes answering very specific questions. Most of the time we have long episodes with one guest, but now I'm going to be answering some of your short individual questions. Enjoy. Welcome to today's episode, and we have Dr. Debbie Bright, and we're going to talk everything about intermittent fasting and food sensitivities. So welcome, Dr. Debbie. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Chantel. So uh, yeah, I'm Dr. Debbie Bright. I'm a board-certified and internationally recognized functional medicine physician. Uh, I, um, I also have a background in uh, nutrition and exercise science. Um, my passion is helping, especially women, discover their hidden food sensitivities. So I say, so they can heal their face, fat, and fatigue. Um, so essentially their skin, right? And then drop those unwanted pounds and get that energy that they've been missing out on in their life. Um, so yeah, beyond that, uh, you know, I say I help people with weight loss and more so I help them um, discover their self-worth. Awesome. Well, let's talk about food sensitivities for just a second. One of the things that I love about fasting is that it really helps you to really become more aware of yourself in all kinds of areas. And I think that even fasting can help people recognize some of their food sensitivities because if you're just eating all day long, right? And like every minute, you're every two hours, you're eating, 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 you aren't as in tune with your body of like what impacts you this way. So talk a little bit, let's start talking about food sensitivity tests. What is your take on them? Is there any that you say, you know, the, this is a bunch of junk over here. They, they're doing a lot of like at home food sensitivity tests now, like Everly Well. Do you trust those? And how accurate do you think those are? Mm, that's a great question. So food sensitivity tests are more new to the market, right? And so I, I get questioned a lot about, you know, well, can I use this $25 at home kit? Or, you know, why is the ones that you would recommend, you know, more like $1,000 out of the patient's pocket? And what I just break it down to is that, you know, you're getting what you're paying for. Um, I tend to go more with Cyrex Laboratories or Vibrant Wellness. Um, they've got some food zoomers that do really great deep dives. They look at the, the food proteins once they've been broken down into peptides. So, you know, the way that lab best explains it is if you're playing baseball and you hit a pop fly out in the field, they've got the field covered with like 900 players. Someone's catching that ball, right? Like it's not going to slip through the system. You're going to know. Um, on the other side of that, I'm trained through the Institute for Functional Medicine and, you know, IFM points to the elimination diet as hands down the gold standard because the person, you know, takes the food out uh, for up to 21 days and 21, you know, it's like you see all these diets are all 21 day, 21 day, 28 day. Uh, the real reason 
outside of the fad number? Is it 21 days or how long it starts to take the uh, antibodies that your body's built up to the foods that are going slipping through your gut lining and causing the food sensitivity? So it takes 21 days for those antibodies to die off or begin their half-life to die off. So, um, you know, people start to feel better you, typically much sooner than that around the four-day point. Um, you know, however, a lab can say one thing and then a person can say, oh my gosh, this food showed up that, you know, I don't even really eat that, right? And so maybe there's some inaccuracy there and it's something that is still evolving in the future. But when it comes down to it, I like to run a patient through an elimination diet because they know their body and they know what they react to once it's been taken out and then reintroduced. So let me tell you a little bit about my personal experience. I've done a couple of food sensitivity tests and I like one time I did one and I feel like they're so all over the map. This is why I, I feel like I don't really trust them because I've taken probably three and I took them over a year span. And so let's say I took the first one. It first one said I was highly allergic to eggs. Like like, you know how they have different ratings, like almost like red, <laughs> orange, green or whatever. And they're like, you know, highly, highly sensitive to eggs. And then the next one said, you know, lettuce, like romaine lettuce or something like that. I mean, it was just all these crazy things. And so each time it had totally different things. Like this time it said I was highly allergic to eggs. This time it didn't. And this one said I wasn't allergic to gluten. And so it was just all over the map. So I guess the question is, how could a test go, okay, let's say they took one on month one and it said all these items. How could month two, you have a totally different set of items that the test is saying, look, now all of a sudden your body does not react poorly to this. Now all of a sudden, up. Oh, Okay, last month you were highly, highly allergic to eggs. You shouldn't eat them at all. Now here we are 30 days later. Oh, eggs are on your green list. You're absolutely able to. So I think with that being said, I mean, even for me, I would say, okay, are, is this bogus or what's going on? Right. So that's definitely worth looking into. And the part where I want to lean towards it being bogus is based on, you know, what are people actually doing? Was it like you got the results and you pulled it out completely and you were very diligent and you took digestive enzymes and probiotics and you know herbs to support your gut lining and then you reintroduced it? Because it just depends on where people are playing in that. Like, you know, can you take out eggs and do those things and see, you know, quick turnover in the gut? Like our, our gut is a single cell layer thick and it does turn over quickly. Um, you know, so if we're doing the right stuff, we're taking the food out, we're putting the right healing foods in, and we calm down inflammation, it most certainly could turn over very quickly. You know, but what I do tend to see is that if someone is reactive to a food, we need to take it out a minimum of three months, do a gut healing protocol, and then reintroduce the food. So that's a quick time span. And I think that's why people are having such distrust uh, with the food sensitivity testing. And still, you know, if I'm going to test someone, ideally, I still want to run them through an elimination diet, try to get the gut inflammation to calm down. And then at that point, we could reach into testing because if someone's gut is inflamed, stuff's going to show up all across the board. And it's based on what we're eating day in and day out, right? So if our gut lining, uh, the integrity is compromised, then the foods that we're consistently eating, which in the standard American diet happen to be 
you know, gluten, soy, dairy, eggs, corn, sugar, peanuts, um, artificial sweeteners and, and added sugars. If that's just a consistent insult to the gut lining or not necessarily insult, but going through a gut lining that has broken down barriers, those proteins get through. And so that's what we're reacting to. So, you know, when people get the food sensitivity test, they usually come back and say, oh my gosh, I'm reacting to everything I eat. Well, that's why. It's not that the food sensitivity is the root problem. It's that the gut lining is the root problem. But I totally understand where you would be, you know, not trusting a test. You take one month apart, 30 days apart, and it's all over the board. So I would say, let's set that aside, do an elimination diet, and then you reintroduce those foods one by one and and test your reactions to it personally. So let's talk a little bit about applied kinesiology. I can never say it. Kinesiology. I never can say it right. Um, but basically, so I went to a doctor and mm-hmm. he was he was a chiropractor. And what he did was he literally took my arm and he put all this food in my arm. So like he had me bring like some of the stuff that I, I bring. And he literally put my arm up and then he would like test my strength. So I'd hold it in one arm and then he would test my strength <laughs> in the other arm. And so basically it's, you know, where they expose a person to the suspected food by having them hold it or bring it close to the body. And then they measure the muscle strength by applying pressure to the extended arm. And he did it over and over again. So what is your opinion of that? Do you feel like, you know, okay, because basically, (laughs) you know, if, if my arm was weak, then that meant, Hey, I'm going to be allergic to that body. And the, the food allergen will make you weaker when you're close to it. Have you heard of that? And do you think it's true? Or what is your opinion about that? So it's funny that you asked me about that one, because, um, you know, the doctor part of me, I'm in DC. So I was trained as a chiropractic physician. And it's in the chiropractic realm that we are taught applied kinesiology. I did do coursework on it in school. However, that was never a way that I necessarily practiced. Now, I have plenty of colleagues that do it, that believe in muscle testing. So it's hard for me to speak from to it from an angle and that I just don't do it. So I don't personally see a lot of validity in it where, you know, it could just be that I'm not well-trained in it. However, on the other side of it, my best friend in grad school, you know, he was the one that told me when I was having issues with, you know, like ADD and fatigue and whatnot in school, he was like, you have food sensitivities, and he was an applied kinesiology practitioner. And so he did, you know, testing on me and whatnot, um, which I believe back then it was like eggs showed up for me, but I, I just don't ever really think that I have a problem with eggs. They don't seem to be too much of an issue when I eat them, pull them out and reintroduce them. So, you know, is there validity to it? I'm not sure. I know you know, we're in a, um, a mastermind group together with Dr. Alan Christensen, and he has a great article about how in naturopathic school, they were learning that as well. And he challenged it where they took some kind of like tinctures and put, you know, vitamins or whatnot in it that the patients should be needing. And then they randomly distributed these to where the practitioner who's supposed to be, you know, well-versed in applied kinesiology would sit the vials on the students and then muscle test. And it just showed up the results were pretty inconsistent. So Mm. I don't want to hate on that, 
by any means. It's just not something I'm well versed in. Um, so, you know, I feel like it's hard to speak to it, but it's just not the path that I take to get, you know, valuable results for my patients. Now, what about um, like cytotoxicity testing where they take like the white blood cells from like a sample of the blood and then the cells are put on a slide that contain like dried samples of food a person could be allergic to, put it under a microscope and then see like, are they allergic to them? Have you, have you had any experience with that? I actually haven't. It's just not the way that I go when I'm running my patients through mm -hmm. uh, testing. But, you know, it is super interesting to see the results of that stuff and to watch it evolve, right? Like, I think we're just getting our toe in the door with this kind of information. And so, you know, I'm excited to see where it goes in the future. Okay. What about IgG or IgG4 testing? So if I were to put a patient through uh, food sensitivity testing, I'm definitely going to go the IgG route. Um, and when I said, like, when we go through the elimination diet, you know, and the antibodies that are dying off with their half-life, of being 21 days, it is an IgG antibody. Okay, and is that through a blood test? Mm-hmm, yep. Okay, and what about a hair analysis? Like, have you ever done anything with hair, with hair analysis to check for allergies? Um, I personally don't. You know, I keep gearing back to the elimination diet because that's where we really tend to play unless, you know, my patients go through it and they, you know, they're not getting the results, the weight loss and skin and energy results that everyone else seems to be getting. And we say, hey, are you an outlier? And then at that point, I would send them for food sensitivity testing. And then I also want that paired with um, a stool sample. So I like to use the GI map just to see, you know, how the integrity of their gut lining really does look. And is there, um, you know, are there any in gut infections, parasites, um, viruses, anything like that, H. pylori, something that might need to be eradicated and killed. And then, you know, we work on healing that gut lining again and then reintroducing the foods. You guys, if you've been listening to my podcast, you know I've been talking about Masszymes, which is a digestive enzyme from Bioptimizers. And I want you to know that here's the thing. For me, having a digestive enzyme is a game changer because one of the biggest things that happens to me is I get really tired after my meal if I don't do it, and I have a problem with nutrient absorption. So if you could be eating the cleanest diet ever, but if you're not absorbing it, that's an issue. So this month, they're doing a really great special, and you're going to get a free bottle of the digestive enzymes from my optimizers. And so all you have to do is pay a nominal shipping fee. That's it. No other strings attached. It's the best thing ever. So get your free bottle of digestive enzymes. It's called Masszymes. Go to masszymes.com slash wasteaway free and use the coupon code wasteaway10. That's it. So masszymes.com slash wasteaway free. Use the coupon wasteaway10. It's awesome. So let's talk about kind of some tips on a way to do the elimination diet where you aren't feeling so deprived. Because I think that what happens is with people, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to give up this and this and this and this and this. <laughs> and, you know, it just gets overwhelming. So it's like, what's a way that you can do the elimination diet where you can remove foods from your diet? And how do you know which 
that which are like the suspects that your body can't tolerate well? Mm. So in my program, the way I laid it out is I did go and speak to the, you know, the Cyrex and Vibrant. And I said, hey, what's showing up consistently in your labs that are coming back with the food sensitivity testing? And I've looked at my own patients when I've done tests on them and I've spoke to colleagues. So across the board, we just know that there tends to be problems with gluten, soy, dairy, eggs, corn, peanuts, and then, you know, like I said, added sugars and artificial sweeteners. So those are the core that we remove in my food sensitivity slim down program. And if now, you had to pick out of those that you mentioned, if you had to pick the top three, what would those be? Gluten, dairy, and eggs across the board consistently show up and are problematic for people. Um, so yeah, those are important ones to remove. Now, on the basis that we remove it, we take the foods out for 21 days, right? And then there needs to be a reintroduction program on the flip side of that. And we can talk about that a little later, but um, so not feeling so deprived. Well, if a patient comes in and I say, you need to remove these foods, they really freak out. Cause like I said, it's what makes up our standard American diet. So it's like, well, there's nothing left to eat. So, you know, I like to, to mind game this a little bit with them and be like, okay, well, if you're taking out gluten, right, you're taking out wheat, barley, and rye. And what that actually looks like is, you know, we're not going to eat bread and we're not going to have waffles and we're not going to have pizza and pie and, you know, cereal. And so it's just like, you're eating this one food, like in five different ways, right? So it sounds like there's nothing left to eat, but we've got to get past that mindset. And, you know, it's really a disservice, I think, for people to go anywhere and hear that they've got these food sensitivities and simply be told, you know, remove them from your diet, go along about your way. It doesn't work like that. There needs to be set meal plans with food that tastes delicious. You know, it's not diet food. It has plenty of healthy protein, clean lean protein, healthy fats, slow digesting carbs, and lots of fiber from, you know, vegetables. And then within that, people can eat the food then they can implement short windows of intermittent fasting, right? So they, they eat the food that helps them hit the right hormones. And then they can go four to six hours between their meals. Their blood sugar learns to stabilize, you know, insulin settles down. And, you know, on the flip side of that, they start to shed body fat. And, you know, other things improve too. Because like I said, I think it's important that if you're going to remove food sensitivities, you need to put a gut health protocol in. Because the main reason why a person has a food sensitivity is due to the integrity of their gut to begin with. And then, you know, when they live inside having recipes, grocery lists, meal plans and making it easy, I really believe anyone can do anything for 23 days, right? So uh, 21 to 23 days. So, so let's talk about the reintroduction phase, because this is really important where you're starting to slowly bring back those eliminated foods back into your diet. Now, are you going, okay, I'm going to just like, okay, today I've done it for 21 days. Let's say Monday's here. Okay, Monday I'm eliminating, I'm going to reintroduce eggs. So I'm just going to eat eggs, you know, and then see how I feel. And number two, what are the symptoms that they're looking for? Like once they eat the eggs, let's say they bring eggs back in, is it joint pain, headaches, fatigue, bloating, (laughs) stomach cramps, like, you know, changes in their bowel, rashes, skin, like, what, what are things that are the main things they're looking for? Like when they eat it, now they go, okay, how do I feel? Um, so what are the main things they see? Okay, so when we roll into the elimination 
phase, right? So taking those foods out solid 21 days, doing a really, really good job of trying to not cheat or slip and get them out. So now the immune system is prepped and primed. And now we're gonna roll into the reintroduction phase. And so what that needs to look like is, you know, in a perfect world, they're gonna take one food at a time. They're gonna eat it for four straight days. And then if a reaction shows up anywhere within the four days, the stuff you were just mentioning, if that shows up, they stop. And then they need to eat clean for the next like three days and let those IgG antibodies in the immune system start to calm down again. And then they can roll like, like let's say it's now it's Monday again, right? I, so I do this in one food per week. Eat it for four days, see if you have any reactions, and then eat clean, and then move to the next food. Now, when it comes to food reactions, you know, there's different types. So there's three types of adverse food reactions, and then there's food allergies, right? So we're not really exactly playing with that in, the, in this, uh, you know, elimination diet, because if a person has a food allergy, they probably know it, right? It, it's shellfish, it's peanuts, they eat it you know, have an immediate reaction, need an EpiPen, it, it can be life-threatening, right? So that's one in its own. And then there's the food intolerance, food sensitivities realm, where food intolerance tends to be a non-immune, more like uh, histamine reactions, people can react to alcohol, dairy products, sulfites, histamines, things like that, you know, artificial colors, things that our body doesn't necessarily have digestive enzymes for to break down. And you can think about people who, you know, tend to be of like Asian descent, um, African-American descent, they tend to be more lactose intolerant. So that's food intolerance. We look at symptoms there, which could be flushing, cold and flu-like symptoms, uh, you know, an inflammatory response and just dietary discomfort. But when we roll into the food sensitivity realm, this is a delayed immune response. So that's why I have them eating it for up to four days because somewhere in there, usually within a 72 hour range, they have to be able to start connecting the dots to I ate this thing and three days later, I got a headache, I got a skin rash, I broke out in acne, I started to feel fatigued, uh, I had changes in my bowels, right? I have IBS and that could look like constipation or um, diarrhea symptoms. Uh, you know, it's just all the stuff you were mentioning, the joint pain, all of that falls into the food sensitivity category. So, you know, I give them, I give people a checklist. I think they've got to know what they're looking for, right? They can say I ate X, okay, over the next few days, I can like journal in how I'm feeling. I can check a box. I feel the symptom, whatnot, and start bridging that gap and connecting the dot to the food and the food sensitivity delayed reaction. And that's what we're going for. And then beyond that, we would take it out for three to six months. Let's talk about A2 milk for just a second and people with lactose intolerance. Have you seen um, people who have lactose intolerance? I know that A2 milk still contains the same quantity of lactose that's in standard milk. Um, so, but have you seen people who have done, I've seen all these, I feel like the A2 milk is like on every commercial on TV now. Have you seen anyone that was like, okay, I wasn't able to do milk before, but now I can drink the A2 milk? So it's, it's funny because like, I don't ever really watch TV. So I feel like I'm in the dark over A2. So if you tell me what it is, I could probably tell you what's going on with it. Yeah. So basically what it is, is for A2 milk is that it has, there's two different kinds of proteins and it's basically where some people are able to, so A2 milk is a variety of cow's milk that has 
the, you know, the casein proteins, there's a, they have A1 and instead it has mostly A2. And some people are able to digest A2 milk more than they can do A1 milk. And so it's like, it's like this new thing. Like, I guess they've, it's just basically touted as being easier for some people to digest. And so they did like all these things. And so they're saying, okay, well, it has the same amount of lactose, but there's a protein intolerance. And so some people don't have the digestive enzymes to digest the A1, but they have it to digest the A2. That's super interesting. So I'd have to specifically answer it. I'd have to dig deeper into that. But to speak on the lactose intolerance, uh, I was listening to a great podcast. I feel like it was just a couple weeks ago. And Chris Kresser was on there and he was talking about, um, it was around 12,000 years ago that someone of European descent in that area figured out how to milk an animal, right? And so it spread. And then individuals that lived in those areas kept their... um, their digestive enzymes that could break down lactase, uh, you know, beyond infancy, because I, ideally we no longer ingest milk. And so we would lose the ability to break it down. And that Mm -hmm. genetically is, I guess, like would be the right, you know, it's not right or wrong, but the right thing or the most, you know, ideal way for our body. However, people that were from Asian and African-American descent, right weren't doing that. And so they downregulated the digestive enzymes. And now 12,000 years later, we've got, you know, European descent individuals who tend to do better with milk in the diet. And then it also comes down to, you know, a lot of the milk is super processed. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's not raw that, you know, the digestive enzymes are removed out of it. And so it it tends to be problematic for people Mm -hmm. at times. But yeah, I want to, I'm gonna have to check out this A2 milk thing. I gotta see how that, how that works. But, you know, nonetheless, if I'm doing an elimination diet on someone, I would just take it out. Take, take milk out altogether. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's probably the milks industry going, people are, <laughs> that's their way of saying, you know, because they're saying there's evidence that suggests that the A1 protein is, is associated with digestive discomfort. And so that's what people are saying. Like when I drink milk, you know, my digestive system doesn't like it. And so now they're saying, okay, well, the A1 protein is not, the A1 protein is harder to digest. And so, you know, that we found that some people have, when when they just have the A2 protein, then they have a a better time with digesting it. So super interesting, you know, (laughs) My husband doesn't do so well with dairy. Maybe I'll test it on him and then see yeah. he breaks out in acne right away. So we'll yes. see what yeah. My husband, and he's going to get mad at me for saying this, but literally when he has dairy, has the worst gas, like mm-hmm. immediately, like we're all just like, oh my gosh, let's leave the room. You know? Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah. like, he just won't stop. Like he got a, like, like my, our massage therapist comes to the house and she's like, okay, let me ask you, did, <laughs> did you have dairy? It's that bad with him. So yeah. I hope he doesn't listen to this episode. Well, any other tips that you could say to people um, 
of what they can do to try to eliminate food intolerances? Any tips that makes it easier or suggestions that you have? You know, we're talking, you were mentioning casein. And so what I want people to know is that there's a trifecta threat with processed food that, you know, leads to food addiction. And so we're going to deal with that when we're taking it out, especially if somebody has been consuming a lot of food that has glutomorphine uh, from gluten and casomorphine, you know, casein from dairy. And then the third thing that, that processed foods tend to have is, you know, high amounts of sugar, which is, you know, eight times more to, to the brain than cocaine. So, you know, these foods can cause real life opioid addictions. And that's why it can be such a challenge taking it out sometimes. So, um, you know, I like to make an elimination diet easy. We throw in a protein shake. We swap out like the dairy for things like, you know, almond milk, flax milk, coconut milk. Um, it's all about just making it quick and easy. You know, I know with, you know, you're a big intermittent fasting fan. I think that plays a role in helping the gut lining heal as well. So, you know, getting that timing, that window down to kind of an eight hour, have your protein shake, you know, make sure all foods have protein, healthy fat and fiber in them. And then you start hitting the winning hormones, which can get you into those smaller wins, those smaller intermittent fasting wins of, you know, having the meals go between every four to six hours. And it just, you start feeling better. And when you start feeling better within four or five days, you know, then it becomes about making that extra win. When you start to see the weight shift and the inflammation cooling down, that's a win, you know, so if people can, can get past that detox loop, days and start hitting the winds, then they, it starts paying off and it starts to become easier to, to maneuver. Right. And then, you know, if you get through the elimination phase and you go through the reintroduction and you really connect the dots on how something is, you know, good or not favorable for your body, it starts to clear up. Uh, you know, you, you start to tailor a diet that's meant for you and then weight loss just comes naturally, which is pretty neat. And then you can move on to other things like, you know, dialing in your intermittent fasting and whatnot and, and having success there. So let's talk one last thing about, you know, the testing. Cause you know, a lot of people say, well, you should test, not guess. Um, mm. How much do these, the tests that you think are really solid, how much do those tests run and how often is, are you recommending that someone get those tests done? Right. So I would say ballpark range between Cyrex or Vibrant if we're doing their wheat zoomers. You're going to spend around $1,000, 1200 or so dollars. Um, you know, what comes back, it's kind of like you said, are they, we score it. If they're in the red, this could be a very problematic food. It might need to stay out for up to a year, right? And if it sort of comes back in the yellow area, it's like, okay, let's remove this for three to six months and then just reintroduce it. But like I said, I don't think that um, anyone's doing themselves a favor if they simply pull the food and they do absolutely nothing to work on healing the gut. You know, I, I, I call it my, my five R framework for rapid weight loss, but it really fits with the Institute for Functional Medicine's five R framework for gut repair, which is, you know, remove the bad, um, which is the foods you're reacting to, replace the good, right, which is like digestive enzymes, re-inoculate so um, get healthy probiotics into your gut that helps repair it and then re, uh, the other fourth r is repair which would be bringing in like um, you know i work with like designs for health and i've developed some of my own product line too um, getting like the right herbs that 
that conditions soothe, you know, aloe and whatnot, like to heal that gut lining and then rebalance. So rebalance would be like making some lifestyle changes, right? That maybe are, you know, there's too much stress or there's, you know, you're eating foods that you react to. So you have headaches, you're bringing medication in and it insults the gut lining. Maybe people need to address how much they're drinking. It's stuff like that, right? So repairing that gut lining and then we, it depends on how serious a person really wants to be with it. You know, we can retest probably at six months would be best. And then if they've been diligent, we could retest again at one year. Um, and I would use, you know, I would always use the same company that you started with and use them to retest. So you're getting like retest. the same, yeah, retest, Great. get the same accurate, more accurate results, right? I wouldn't switch companies around. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's been a joy talking to you today. Tell listeners where they can find you and follow your work. Great. So, um, you can find me at millennialhealth.com um, and we're revamping the whole site. We just did a big rebranding and we're about to launch the product line and the new program, which is super cool. Um, or you can find me, I'm pretty active on social media, you know, and Facebook or uh, Instagram. My Instagram handle is at Dr. Debbie Bright. And it's the same thing, facebook.com slash Dr. Debbie Bright, um, which is kind of funny, right? You get different platforms, you get like different ways people want to interact with you and different opinions. And, and Facebook tends to be like my, my older followers and Instagram's more like my millennial followers. Um, but you can find me either way. So yeah, reach out. Awesome. Well, you guys stay tuned. We have our next episode coming up in just a minute. Hey guys, thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, it would mean the world to us for you to leave a review on iTunes to get this podcast out to others that may have the same questions that you do. And as always, if you have a question that you want answered, email those to questions at chantelrayway.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.